0: Castellanos does it and
1: the Phillies have the National League Championship and
2: W-H-Y-Y and BillyPenn.com. It is hitting season. Hey there, podcast pals. I'm John Stolnes from The Good Fight and Billy Penn. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolnes. Coming up, we're going to recap the Phil's Giants series. Uh, the Phillies miss out on a chance to sweep the Giants, but still a very solid series victory for the Phil's against the team that came into the week as their closest competitor in the wild card series. And it took everything the Giants had to hold off the Phillies in this game on Wednesday. If there's a good loss out there, this would be one of those good losses. Uh, Phillies really played a, a tough game on Wednesday and almost pulled off the series sweep. So we'll talk about what happened on Wednesday. We'll talk about the all of the miraculous plays on the Tuesday, and then uh, we'll get into some numbers about Brandon Marsh, who is just having a remarkable season here in 2023. Uh, also, I'm going to talk with Tyler Kepner from the New York Times, and actually, Tyler Kepner will soon be joining The Athletic. He made that announcement this week, so uh, we'll be talking to him about the Phillies and the National League wildcard picture, and we've been talking a lot about vibes. Well, I talked with somebody who's an expert on vibes, uh, Jason Del Gandio, who uh, is a professor at Temple and has written a number of books, articles, and different kinds of things on vibes in sports. So we're going to dive into that coming up here on this edition of Hit and Season. All right, the Phillies, as I mentioned, lost a tough one on Wednesday, missing out on the chance to sweep, falling in 10 innings, 8-6. The Phillies looked like this is going to be one of those games where they were just never in it. Uh, Alex Cobb was pitching really well, was mowing the Phillies down early in the game. Michael Lorenzen was not sharp. He gave up four runs in five innings of work, and the Phillies were down 4 nothing at one point. Back-to-back home runs from Kyle Schwarber and Trey Turner – made it 4-2, to two, but it was 5-2 to two entering the ninth inning. And again, you walk into that inning, and Duvall is a fantastic closer for the Giants. I know the Phillies got to him on Tuesday night, and we'll talk about that in a second, uh, but... You really had to think that he was going to be able to lock it down, but uh, he walks Kyle Schwarber, he walks Trey Turner to start the ninth inning, and then Bryce Harper comes up, and you can tell Bryce Harper is in MVP mode right now. He, He is in I'm going to put the team on my back mode, and with one swing of the bat hitting a laser, really a different kind of home run than we're used to seeing from Bryce Harper. It just barely cleared the wall off the right field. Foul pole, but good enough for a game-tying three-run home run that had everybody thinking miracle once again, and the Phillies had a chance to win it in the ninth inning. Johan Rojas um, was a pinch runner for Nick Castellanos after Castellanos got uh, a single with uh, with two outs. Uh, Johan Rojas uh, stole second and advanced to third on a wild pitch with JT Realmuto at the plate. Realmuto Muto worked the count to three and two, uh, but struck out on a pitch a foot outside to end the threat. Uh, tenth inning comes along, and Craig Kimbrell, who has struggled since the All-Star break, uh, started with the zombie runner on second base to start the tenth, uh, gave up a walk, then hit a batter to load the bases with nobody out. Uh, an RBI single later, the Giants had a 7 to five lead and then um Johan Rojas made a ridiculous diving catch on a sinking line drive to center field um, and then doubled off the runner off first base for an inning-ending double play. However, uh, there was a runner on third who tagged up on the play and scored just before uh, the throw reached Alec Bowman at first base for the double play. So the run counted. The Giants get three in the 10th. The Phillies tack one on in the bottom of the 10th. But with Schwarber and Turner representing the tying run, they did not have one more miracle Left in them, But give the Phillies a lot of credit. They battled in this game. They could have very easily folded it in, but they wanted this game. Uh, they really did want the sweep. They they played hard. They, they battled back, and that's a mark of a team that's ready for October. Th- this is a team that had that assassin look about them all weekend. They just played sharp in this series. They had some errors here and there, but this is a team. They played really sharp baseball, and they're starting to deliver in the clutch. And you hope it continues. These things tend to come in waves. They go up and down. But the Phillies are starting to deliver in the big moments, and maybe they're starting to relax a little bit. They're getting contributions from everybody in the lineup. The, d- the different stars are-, are taking turns being stars in these different games. You would like to see the Phillies starting pitchers keep teams off the board a little bit longer. I think it's four straight games now. A Phillies starter has allowed at least one first inning run. You don't. I mean, the Phillies have had a lot of comeback wins this year. More than I think we're getting close to half of their wins are comeback wins. But you don't want to make a habit out of doing that. But it's good practice for October. And, and this team is clearly playing its best baseball of the season. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't quite enough to sweep the Giants here on Tuesday. Gabe Kapler did everything in his power to make sure that the Phillies didn't sweep this series. He used ten pitchers in this game and this is after uh, in the game on Tuesday he completely depleted his bench in the eighth inning of the game. Uh, second, In the second game, he used his backup catcher. Uh, he removed his best hitter in Jock Peterson for a pinch hitter, and then he hit Michael Conforto um, for, for somebody. hit for, hit for He hit for Michael Conforto and depleted his bench in the eighth inning of a one-run game. In the opening game of the series, they went with an opener and took the reliever out after five hitters, so pitching change in the first inning in the first game. I mean, it was all the things we did not like about Gabe Kapler and his managerial style when he was here in Philadelphia, it was it was like that on steroids here in Philadelphia this week, and you could tell the Giants wanted this series really badly. They should have won at least two out of three, but failed to do so. Uh, instead, winning the game on Wednesday, Tuesday's four to three win. Maybe the most dramatic win of the season. You had Harper hit that two-run home run off Giants super prospect uh, Kyle Harrison in the first inning to give them a 2-1 to lead, but the Phillies fell behind uh, in this game 3-2. to Taiwan Walker's velocity looked good in five strong innings. That was a little bit of good news. He, they gave him some extra time off. I think it was nine days since his last start, and his velocity was back up, 94 miles an hour, right, just like a tenth of a mile an hour under his season average. So uh, Taiwan Walker looked very good. In, in that ninth inning, uh, we remember the Trey Turner hit up the middle to score the winning run. But Brandon Marsh had the key at bat in the ninth inning. Um, with a runner on first base, Brandon Marsh ha- is facing an 0-2 count against Duval and hits a single up the middle on an 0-2 pitch. To that point, Camilo Duvall had faced 17 batters this year and gotten an 0-2 count on them. Those hitters were 0-17 with 12 strikeouts until Marsh's single up the middle. That put runners on first and third with one out. Marsh then stole second to put the go-ahead run in scoring position. That forced Gabe Kapler, who was managing this game like it was Game 7, much like he did on Wednesday, uh, to intentionally walk Schwarber and load the bases for Turner with one out. Trey Turner rips that single up the middle off of Duvall's glove. Some bad luck for the Giants there, although I do think it probably would have gotten into center field even if Duvall hadn't deflected it. But it landed in a perfect spot off Duvall's glove uh, to allow two runners to score and the Phillies win that game 4-3. to Turner's turnaround continues he hit another home run in the game on Wednesday coming into Wednesday he was hitting 353 with six doubles four home runs 14 RBIs and a 10.07 OPS in 17 games since August 4th which is when he got the standing ovation against the Royals so pretty great stuff from Trey Turner and he continues to hit the the Trey Turner we thought we were getting is here and it really doesn't look like it's going to go away And that's a huge turn of events for the Phillies and their offense here down the stretch. Uh, some, Some notes about Kyle Schwarber from Matt Gelb. Since June 2nd, the day he was moved back into the leadoff spot, there are only two hitters in baseball who have 20 or more home runs and 50 or more walks. Kyle Schwerber, and Shohei Ohtani. One of the other things we saw in this series is the Phillies' bullpen is fully back. Jose Alvarado made his return. Uh, Thompson used Alvarado, Sir Anthony Dominguez, Gregory Soto, and Craig Kimbrell in the final four innings to secure that 4-3 win on Tuesday. And... Kimbrel, of course, did not pitch as well on Wednesday, uh, but with, with Jose Alvarado back, they'll be able to give Kimbrel a little bit more rest, and hopefully that will help some of the shakiness that we've seen from Kimbrel over these last couple of weeks. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how the Phillies are going to start to use these pitchers as the season goes on. You're going to see those four guys used heavily uh, in in the pennant chase, uh, in this chase for the wild card, and especially in the playoffs. In the playoffs, those are going to be their four guys. And then you'll have like Michael Lorenzen, Chris Sanchez, Matthew Strom, all picking up big innings as well. Jeff Hoffman in there, either as uh, starters or relievers. Um, I did want to mention a little bit more about Brandon Marsh and his turnaround. I mean, again, that, that at-bat against Camilo Duvall was probably the most important at-bat in the inning. And his improvement from last year to this this year is astonishing. He has improved his batting average from 245 last year to 283 coming into Wednesday. His on-base percentage has jumped from 295 last year to 369 here in 2023 again coming into Wednesday. Slugging percentage from 384 to 459. His walk rate has almost doubled from 6.1% to 11.2%. His strikeout rate is about where it is, 34.3% is now down to 30%, but his hard hit rate has skyrocketed, 38.2% to 48.1%. So he has dramatically increased his walk rate, and at the same time dramatically increased his hard hit rate. He has decreased his swinging strike rate from 13% to 9.8%, and he is swinging at fewer pitches outside of the strike zone, 32.2% last year, 26.5% this year, all of that means his wins above replacement has jumped he was at 1.7 all of last year he's already at 2.6 according to Fangraphs. and the Phillies offense continues to roll here in 2023 coming into Wednesday the Phillies had hit 40 home runs this month that was first in baseball they hit three more here in the game on Wednesday so they now have 43 and their 865 OPS was second in baseball here in the month of August just keep it rolling through September boys keep it rolling through September. So, at the end of the day, the Phillies take two out of three from the Giants, uh, and they hold a three game lead over them. They hold a two and a half game lead over the Cubs, who are now in the second wild card position, and you have three teams tied for that third spot Arizona, Cincinnati, and San Francisco, all tied at 66 and 61, three games behind the Phillies. Uh, the Cubs, two and a half games behind the Phillies here in the wild card. So, again, would have been nice to get four games up on san francisco arizona and cincinnati and a game and a half up on the cubs but uh the phillies still come away with a a very solid series victory against a good team in the giants who came in knowing this was a big series the giants do take the season series four to two so if those two teams are tied atop the wild card standings or if they're tied in the wild card in any way the giants will win the tiebreaker so that part of it is a little bit of a bummer well, joining me to talk about the Bills this series against the Giants and really the National League wildcard race as a whole is one of my favorite baseball writers and one of my favorite guests that we have here on the podcast. Tyler Kepner, of course, from the New York Times and soon to be newly joined with The Athletic. Uh, he made that announcement here this week, and so we're excited to see him uh, move over as uh, as he's going to join just an incredible cadre of fantastic baseball writers over there at The Athletic. And uh, you also probably know Tyler by uh, some of the great books that he's written, K A History of Baseball in 10 pitches and the grandest stage a history of the world series great stuff from tyler of course thanks for coming back on hitting season how are you oh great how are you i'm doing awesome it's great to talk to you again and um always talk good to talk to a fellow philly guy and for those people who aren't playing the immaculate grid and don't follow it all that closely i think you might be the greatest immaculate grid player in the country right now you've got to be it's like top 0.1 percentile
1: but now i feel the pressure see because like (laughs) you know i've got to that reputation, I've got to uphold that reputation. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, you get days like today where I'm, I'm, I'm rolling along. I got, see, I can do the multi-team guys all day long. I mm-hmm. can do the, you know, for forever and, and and not get tired of it and love it. I mean, if I get someone in a multi-team who's 1% or higher, I'm mad.
2: Um, <laughs>
1: but it's the stat categories that will trip me up. Cause I'll overthink it. Um, like I was thinking today, you know, was okay, it was A's two hundred strikeouts, so I'm like, well, I should go all the way back to the Philly Philadelphia A's. But then I started thinking, like, well, man, they there were not a lot of strikeouts in the early part of baseball mm-hmm. um, compared to now. But then you get, then you go to the er, the later guys, like the guys with the high strikeout rates, but they don't have the innings. So like a yeah. Rich Harden, Rich yeah. Harden guy, he didn't have it. So I was kind of all over the map. I like I knew Todd Stottlemyre had one year there. But I also knew it was ninety five. I knew we had a lot of strikeouts, but ninety five. You, you know, the season started late, so I overthought it. And I'm like, you know what, Mike Norris, 1980, he had a great year, should have won the Cy Young. He had that trick pitch, that screwball, and he didn't have a. So I should have just gone, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody. But uh, you know, I overthink it sometimes. But yeah, thank you though. I, I I love that immaculate grid, man. That is that is, I that makes my day every day.
2: Yeah, I do it with my son, who's 12. Every day he comes and asks, Dad, you can do Immaculate Grid? And, and we we rarely get it. There's always one thing that trips us up. And it's usually – with we mess up on the teams, actually, because we're, we're like 80% sure this guy played for both teams, but it's never 100%. But we are dedicated to not looking anything up. So,
1: yeah.
2: um, you know, that's yeah. just
1: <laughs> up. I mean, one time I, I had I had one where I had like – I was going to put in trispe- – I was writing it down. I was in the car. I was like writing it down. I put it was speaker. And the last minute I tried to get cute with like Duffy, uh, Hugh Duffy, but I meant Hugh (laughs) Lewis and whatever. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give myself a mulligan for that. And then I went to the speaker, but you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, I don't really, uh, I can't look it up. I mean, it's all about what's in here. You can study though. Yeah, I had to be studying up on uh, Robin Roberts the other day and just, you know, familiarizing myself with him. And and, uh, sure enough, the next day at Astro's, Astro's, orioles came up and i'm like "Ooh, robin roberts for astros orioles would be a
2: good one." So, oh, there you go yeah see my uh, son's go-to is dave kingman i'm always uh, always shocked by the number of teams dave kingman has played on and uh
1: there's yeah he's, yeah, he's a good one to have in yeah, your just, back pocket I, I use you know who i use all the time i actually have to keep myself from using him so often is danny darwin because mm. nobody we rem- met danny darwin played for 21 years Nobody remembers him. He never made an All Star team. He never played in the postseason. Never played for a New York team. Never played for an LA team, but he played for like nine teams and he played forever. And no, and, and because no one remembers him, he always gets like below one percent. So I, yeah, he's a go to guy for me. But uh, no, we all have our Terry yeah. Melton, other go to guy, yeah. you know, and Dennis Cook. You know, mm-hmm. speaking of Philly guys, so uh, yeah, you know, there's a lot of good I, ones. Yeah, it was always fun.
2: Well, let's talk about the current fills. And um, I, as we've watched them play the Giants this weekend, I, I, it seems to me anyway that I think they have a, a more talented team, at least a more traditionally talented team. And I know what Gabe Kapler does with the Giants. he's He has to be more inventive because I do think the rosters are, are not – comparable i think the phillies roster is significantly more talented at least they've got bigger stars all over the place in the giants roster but um they've it looks you know no matter what happens in the in the finale and we're recording this as the finale is taking place the phillies have put some distance between themselves and the giants and really the rest of the national league wild card not a lot but you know good more than they've had this year do you think that they've separated themselves from the rest of the national league wild card not in terms that they're a lot to make it but just in terms of like talent level the way they're playing is, is there are there like are they number one and then everybody else is is kind of battling for two and three.
1: I think absolutely. I, I think, and, and whether it turns out that way or not, um you know, we'll see. um But I think they definitely have asserted themselves to the point where I think everybody in baseball pretty much considers them the, the, the number one wildcard team because because the teams below them can kind of fluctuate and their talent levels are are suspect. You know, I guess compared to the Phillies, uh, nobody questions the Phillies' talent level. No one questions the pedigree based on what they did last year in the playoffs to get all the way to the game six, of the world series. Um, they have the star power um, and they've been playing really well after the first, you know, eight weeks or something the six weeks, seven weeks of the season. So they should be the number one wild card. Um, I think everybody would be shocked if they don't make the playoffs at this point. And, and I think, yeah, they've got, because look at the, look at the other, look at the other teams, right? I mean, like Arizona, Miami and my Arizona, Miami, and Cincinnati are all in the mix, but they're young. Um, kind of unproven you don't really know how they're gonna you know we've seen Arizona hot and then they disappeared for a while and now they're hot again it's it's hard to count on those teams and then you've got the Cubs you know who are okay um, but they they've got some issues and then the Giants who, who just kind of uh, platoon their way to uh, respectability and and so yeah the Phillies stand out in in, in that big group
2: who's been and I've been trying to answer this question and and I guess if you look at war it there's probably a very clear answer but who in your mind has been the best player on the Phillies this year like if there's been a team MVP who do you think it's been
1: oh man that's a that's a really good question um I think you could ask
2: five ten people this question you might get five or ten different answers you know
1: yeah and, and and that's you know that speaks to um you know what a what a team effort it is I mean you know uh, I mean, Marsh and Marsh and, uh, and Stott have, have been, you know, really steady and, and, and valuable. I think everything that Harper is, even though he missed a lot of time, everything he is, is just, you know, so much more valuable than whatever the, the wins replacement will say about him. Um, he's there, you know, he's sort of their linchpin and their, their leader. So I, it's never up there in, in war, but, um, but I, he, he's so important to that team. Um, you know, though, I, I think, I mean, Wheeler to me just gets overlooked in, in the sense mm-hmm. that like, I mean, he's just, he goes out there and you just know what you're going to get. Um, Nola is is very up and down. But Wheeler, even when he gives up four in the first, like he did in the Williamsport game, he, he he's a pro and he stays in there through seven. Um you know, and that helps the team. I just I don't know if he's he's the most valuable, but I think as a he's has been just so important to them since they got him. And just in terms of taking the ball, posting up and giving them a a, a professional high level outing every time. Um, so, you know, a, 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 for a rotation that's had some some issues with Suarez being heard, and, um, you know, he's really helped stabilize them to the point where now they got a really good rotation, I think.
2: Yeah. No, no kidding. And even I'm I am Lare-
1: i didn't answer your question. No, that's uh, OK. I think uh, that's I think it's the right answer. I'll, I'll go with Bryson Stott. I mean, you know, he's got power. Yeah. He's steals he bases. He's, he's good in the field. He gets on base and he's he's posted every day and been, been real steady. So I'd, I'll i say Stott. But there's the point that we have to the point you're making is good. You know, the We have to talk about this. Cause there's so many guys who make this thing work.
2: Yeah, the whole is the whole is really the sum of the parts is better than like the, the individuals, I think, in a lot of ways. Even though there are stars throughout the lineup, they've just been so up and down uh, with performances here. Guys have kind of taken turns kind of stepping up. And Trey Turner is one of them. Obviously, he had a really tough first three months of the season. And then everybody, you know, we still we talk about the ovations he got against the Royals. And I, I mean, I don't think it's coincidence that after that, he started playing really, really well. I mean, and we hit, saw the same thing last year, kind of without Alec Boehm, I mean that could have gone real sideways but it, it turned around and Bohm's had a solid year here in 2023. So, do you think Philly fans have learned the value of positive reinforcement, Tyler?
1: Yeah, I think I think Philly fans have always um you know wanted to wanted to be heard, right? You know, they they, they want to have their they want to impact the they care so much that they want to have their impact on the game and on the teams and on the players. And for, you know, most of the country, I think, still clings to that idea that they're always negative all the time. Um, but I think it's been wonderful to see the last couple of years how, you know, when they have something to cheer for and, and they want to be heard in a, in a positive way a lot of times, too. And, and that if you are just uh, upright and honest and, and don't, make mis- don't make excuses um, and you want it as bad as the fans want it, or at least you project that um that they're going to support you and you know they didn't turn on Alec Boehm they they didn't turn on Trey Turner when he you know got off to a bad start with all that money coming to him they they went the opposite direction and um the rest of the country is probably never going to figure it out but you know (laughs) Philadelphia sports fans they they want the team to succeed so much and they want to be a part of it and when they can use when they can band together and 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 support a guy um Mm -hmm. They, they 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 love that and 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 when the guy responds, man, it's it's uh it it's uh, it's all good. So Turner Turner's a good dude. He's he's well liked around the game. He 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 doesn't make excuses. Um, he's going to be a good fit there, and we're seeing um this first this last month just uh just the reason that they invested in him.
2: It's kind of hard to fathom he's going to be here for, like, the next decade. You know, it's just, you know, it's hard to wrap your mind around, like, Trey Turner. He's not going anywhere (laughs) for a very long time. And so this has been a real positive development.
1: And we'll see how it works. I mean, you know, these these long-term contracts, you know, you you wouldn't, you wouldn't, it wouldn't be what you choose, but um, it's what it takes to get the guy. And if you win, if they have a parade down Broad Street this year or next or whatever, when... When uh Turner's still in his prime, then you kind of live with w- whatever the back end of it is, and mm-hmm. and maybe you hope you know, hey, he's he could be a, one of those very special players who who does hold up for 10 years. I mean, look at you know, we're talking one, a top 25 player of all time, but Mike Schmidt, yeah. you know, was certainly an elite player at age 36, 37. Um, it does happen, you know, it is possible. So let's
2: talk a little bit about uh, the National League wildcard uh, as a whole now, because we've met, we talked about, we think the Phillies are almost certainly going to get the top Wild Card spot, or at least certainly one of the three wildcard spots. But then you've got all these other teams that are, that are fighting for it right now. Uh, you've got the Cubs, the Giants, the Reds, the Diamondbacks, and the Marlins. You've got these five teams fighting for the other two spots. Who do you think are the two teams that, the two best teams out of those five? I mean, because when you factor in schedules and everything else, I mean, any, a lot of different things can happen, but of those five teams who are the two best teams
1: well there's best team and there's teams that can can succeed the most in the playoffs and and, and I think I mean the Marlins are barely over 500 you know they're they're uh, you know a bad week or a bad couple series away from you know being under 500 um yeah. And our buddy, Dave Robertson, has not done so well for them um, in the bullpen, unfortunately, because I love him. Uh, he's such a great dude. But their starters, with Sandy Alcantara and Lazardo and Yuri Perez, I mean, they can make things really difficult. I know Sandy's had his ups and downs, but he all, when he's great, he's still really great. Uh, um, and so if you get into a short series and those they have the kind of arms that can – that can take over and, and they've hit, you know, they've hit a lot better since the deadline. I mean, so far anyway, Josh Bell and Jake Berger have been, have been terrific additions. um, And they have some guys who, you know, make things happen offensively. So the Marlins are a team that, that I just wouldn't want to deal with them if I'm, if I'm, you know, facing uh, facing them in the postseason. I feel like you could, you could get to the, the Reds, I, you know, I they've they've got a lot of young, um, energetic talent, and they can hit. But I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't necessarily trust all those guys in, the, in a big spot in the postseason. Um, Diamondbacks have Gallon, and 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 he's a he's a difference maker. But again, you know, I, I, I think they've been playing a little bit over their over their head for for uh, you know most of the year based on that start. So you know, Gallon Kelly, you know, can. Can uh, can control things from the pitching side, but I don't know. I, I think Miami be the one team I wouldn't I would want to avoid.
2: Interesting. Uh, I think when I was um, a couple weeks ago, or last week I was doing a prediction, uh, and I, I predicted I thought the Giants and, and the Marlins would make it in. Then I quickly uh, I, I changed my mind. I thought okay, it'd be the Cubs because the Cubs started surging, and just all you know what these these five teams remind me of that game that we see at Citizens Bank Park, the SEPTA train rally, you know, like they keep surging ahead, like one will surge ahead and the next one will surge ahead. That's what the this wildcard chase has been like. It, it's It's been like that video board, uh septa train game, Septa uh, trolley game. <laughs> these, te- these teams just keep uh, taking turns, uh, jumping in front of one another. Um, last thing for you, Tyler, obviously you're in New York. You write for the New York Times, soon to be writing for The Athletic, but uh, you've obviously uh, seen a lot of the Mets and the Yankees this year. What on earth happened with the Yankees and the Mets? And do you think it's- is, is this just a one-year blip, or do they have real, real problems that could go into the future?
1: Yeah, I think they do have some some real problems. In a way, I, you almost feel a little bit better about the Mets because at least they, you know, took a real decisive path at the deadline and and they decided they were going to get some premium young guys and, and and just you know move on from the forty-three million dollars each um, veteran Hall of Fame dudes like. You know, and, and Scherzer and, and Verlander, I mean, they're still good. They're still really good. But, um, you know, it was an organizational pivot. And I think the Mets have a pretty clear direction now, um, whereas the Yankees, they've got these five guys over 30 who make $143 million combined for the next several years. That's uh, Judge and Stanton and and Rodon and Cole and Lemayhu, and there's a lot of like in there, but there's also a lot of guys who struggle in there. And then so you start with that 143, and then you figure, all right, you got another 150 if you want to get up to 300 million or whatever. And it's just, it really starts to add up. They, they, you know, if Rodon, if road Rodon is his first year has been has been uh, really rough. He's got a lot of he's got five years left. Um, you know, they, they strike out a lot. That that problem has never really gone away. Um, and the rest of the division is is really good and younger. So, you know, the Yankees, they need to get younger. Um, they found a good starting pitcher this year with Clark Schmidt and Anthony Volpe is the shortstop of the future. He's done pretty well. Um, so there are some good things to like. And look, there were 10 games over 500 on the 4th of July, and then they got a lot of injuries. But they're they're built in a way that they have these injury prone dudes. And I don't know how deep they are. Their depth has sort of been exposed this year. So um, when you have money like the Yankees and Mets do, you can, you can kind of turn it around a little quicker, but you've got to invest wisely and make smart signings like they did with Garrett Cole, like the Phillies have done. Um, But if you, if you invest poorly in free agency, it can really, uh, you know, just, just really backfire no matter who you are. So, it's, it's been, it's been rough and it's been uh, weird because like you said, with the amount of money these teams spend, you expect them to be really good. And last year they both, you know, they combined for 200 wins. Um, yeah. So it, it's, it really blindsided a lot of people.
2: Yeah, I guess, and we don't really take into account how successful the Phillies have been in free agency these last few years. They really haven't had a huge bust. Castellanos last year looked like that might be the case, but he's been really great this year. So it's just, um, you're right, you miss on those big-time free agents and you can, can really set you back. Um, listen, everybody, fi- make sure that you're following Tyler Kepner on Twitter or X, or whatever this thing is called, in of It's Tyler Kepner, uh, and uh, pick up his books. A K, A History of Baseball in 10 Pitches in the Grandest Stage of History of the World Series. Uh, make sure that uh, you get both of those uh books uh, for your for your baseball bookshelves. Tyler, thank you for coming back on hitting season. I appreciate
0: it. All right, John, thanks a lot.
2: We've been talking a lot about vibes with the Phillies here really ever since the playoffs last season and up and down the vibes have gone so far here in 2023, but uh, over the last month or so, it really does feel like the Phillies are, are riding a crest of good vibes. And joining me to talk about vibes in sports is an expert on this topic. Jason Del uh, He has a website called the 20 minute vibe, which actually helps athletes understand vibes and sports energy. He's a professor at Temple university. Uh, so again, you can consider him a sports vibes expert, uh, Jason. Thanks for coming on hitting season. How are you?
0: Good. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.
2: It's good to talk to you. And obviously, you've been talking about vibes and sports for a long time now. So I imagine this Phillies team comes along, and it just kind of, you know, it it sinks its teeth into right into right what you're kind of talking about. And you know, I think that goes along with the with the Philadelphia Eagles too. Two teams that are. Playing really well, they've got good rosters. People feel good about them, and the positivity in the city towards both of those teams seems to really, uh, really be cresting at the moment. And so, I think we also look back to a couple weeks ago when when a struggling Trey Turner received that standing ovation from the Citizens Bank Park crowd over and over and over again, and he's played so much better since then. How much of an impact do you think fans have on players, and 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 how? Our vibes can translate from, from fan to player.
0: Well, sure. I think the uh, the vibe in general is a big part of sports. If you think about the sports experience, it's hard to imagine either being a player or a coach or just a fan without some feeling, without some emotion, without some vibe. I can't imagine going to a stadium and paying $100 for a ticket, $10 for a beer, $25 for parking, and not to have any vibe there, no no actual uh, uh, embodied experience. So it's a big part of the overall sports experience in terms of the fans influence on athletes. Um, I do think it's a real phenomenon now to what degree is debatable, right? But as an athlete, though, you can feel the positive support or the negativity of fans. And that will translate into your own psychology, your own emotional state, your ability to focus on the game, etc. So we saw with Trey Turner, though, that collectively speaking, uh, the Philly fans decide, like, we're going to support this guy, give him a standing ovation and obviously translate it into production on the field. That's not always the case. But here that we see a real life um, example of how the collective vibe of the fans does translate into on field results.
2: I guess before we talk about this anymore, I want to get your definition of what a vibe is.
0: So my. A very uh, broad definition of the vibe is the exchange of energy between you and the world. So again, the exchange of energy between you and the world. But from a philosophical standpoint, the question is, what is this energy? In other words, is it a physical phenomenon or is it metaphysical? Is it spiritual or scientific? Is it material or immaterial? Is it all these things or something else altogether? Right, So I purposely try to keep my definition broad because I think there are different ways to interpret this phenomenon referred to as the vibe. But regardless of how you define it, though, you can see it operating within the sports phenomenon.
2: And so what you talk about is getting a a player to get in tune with the vibes that – their other team teammates have or, or the fans sure. have like, h- how does an athlete use vibes, use these good feelings, use these, use positive? I guess it's really using positive energy, right. To, to improve how, how they play the game.
0: Sure. Uh, well, I think first just being aware of and, and mindful of this, this vibe phenomenon. In other words, the energy of the, excuse me, the fans bring a certain energy to the, to the stadium. Your fellow teammates have a collective vibe in the dugout. Uh, in the locker room. The opposing team has their own vibe, right? You might have a star player on your team that is hogging all of the vibe or giving off the wrong vibe. So it's almost like being a vibe checker, right? How do I check my vibe and how do I tune into the vibe of my fellow players, the opposition, the fans? And then from there though, how do I use that, right? It's almost like being um, a meteorologist. So how do you read the weather patterns? How do you read the collective vibe that you're experiencing?
2: So and in, you you also talk you you can get a competitive advantage by by oh, using sure. the sports vibe you know by by tapping into that
0: yeah now I don't want to overstate the case like just because you can read a vibe or feel a vibe it's not going to make you world win the World Series like there's much more involved than being a championship team or even just winning a basic game here right mm-hmm. um, but it's the idea like if you're if you're an athlete though aren't you looking for every advantage possible right and so if I can fee- if I'm a batter and I can uh, feel out the vibe of the pitcher, or if I can vibe that person out, in other words, my vibe is stronger, more aggressive, more positive than the pitcher, that might give me a competitive advantage. Um, One of the ways to think about this is the pressure moments in sports. And are you um, a clutch performer or do you choke? Right Mm. Now think about the intensity of that moment. We as fans can feel it, and everyone on the field can feel that. Right. The great athletes live up to the intensity and they match that intensity and they use the intensity of that collective emotion, that collective vibe to their advantage. Meanwhile, though, other players, even some great players, choke under that pressure. The, the, the physical phenomenon of this collective emotion is too intense and they choke. Right. It affects their emotions and affects their psychology.
2: And I would even say, too, based on our experience with the Phillies last year, a mm-hmm. team that had made the playoffs in, in 10 straight years, they were pit, they, they playing really well in in the latter part of the season. But then they kind of went into another tailspin towards the very end of the season. And the vibe started to become very bad. And it seemed like fans were just waiting for this team to choke again. The, the, the players themselves were underperforming. They were losing to, to losing right. teams. But then they, they, they righted the ship. Just in time, you know, the last week and a half of the season, they got back on track, they won the wild card. And then all of a sudden, it was as if the good times couldn't stop in October until the very end of the playoffs, the very end of the World Series, where, you know, sometimes play on the field actually has more to do with anything than, than vibes do. But ever since then, it felt like, it felt like there was, I don't, I can't even really pinpoint it, but it seemed like there was like a line of demarcation where this team was awash in bad vibes. And then all of a sudden it, it switched once they made the playoffs and got the monkey off their back. It felt, it it just looked like things changed from an emotional standpoint for that team.
0: Sure. Sure. hundred percent. So first thing about that, So in our society, we have the the saying like only good vibes, but that's not the reality. There are good vibes, there are bad vibes, sad vibes, happy vibes, all kinds of vibes, right? And so for a sports team, though, uh, the collective vibe of the team will ebb and flow throughout the season, especially something like the baseball because it's so long, right? Um, The hope is, though, you get into the the right groove, uh, the right collective mindset, the right emotional state, the right vibe at the right time. That's what happened with the Phillies last year, right? Um, And that, though, has a symbiotic relationship between – the team itself, especially in Philadelphia, the overall fan uh, fan base. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the collective vibe of Philadelphia as a city ebbs and flows with the collective vibe of the sports teams, which is why it's such a great sports town. Right. Um, but, yeah, so it, it definitely plays um, an important role, though, in terms of getting um, uh, on on track at the right time. Right. And that's really important.
2: So last thing for you here. How, how I don't know. How long have you lived in the city all your life? Have you been a sports fan in Philadelphia for a long, or have you how long have you been here?
0: Well, I'm actually originally from North Jersey. So I grew up okay. rooting for New York teams, which I know I shouldn't say, say I got three out, right? but I've been yeah. down in this area since 2006. And I is this,
2: there. is this the best the vibes have felt since 2000, since you got here? Like I'm, I've been, I've, I've been a sports fan, a Philadelphia sports fan since the, since the late eighties. And, and I'm having a hard time remembering a time when the fan base was as positive about this many of their sports teams, especially the Phillies and Eagles as they are right now.
0: I, I would agree. I mean, uh, back in two thousand eight when they won the World Series, obviously that was a major uh positive vibe then. But in terms of the the number of months, the longevity and the intensity, yeah, I mean the the, the Eagles, the Phillies, uh, going back to last year into this year. Um, the fans are riding that, that that vibe. There's no doubt about it. It's fun. It's fun to, it's fun to be part of.
2: And, and that's the thing. Sports is supposed to be fun. The vibes are, are part of it. And I think the thing that's been fun for fans here over these last couple of weeks is seeing the impact that fans are having on the play on the field. Like it is it is possible for for a fan base, for for people sitting in the seats to actually affect the team on the field. And Philadelphia fans have been criticized for decades for being a negative influence on, on, on players sure. with booing and all that kind of stuff. And I, I will never tell a fan they can't but in the, this is a case where and you like you said it's not always going to work out that way, but the fan base's positive energy seems to have really fixed the their superstar player who was just struggling so much. Uh Jason, if people want to read your read your stuff or learn more about this, where can they go to do that?
0: They can go to my website, which is 20minutevibe.com. Again, 20minutevibe.com.
2: And Jason's got a bunch of videos there uh, that, uh, that you can watch on, on this subject. Hey, Jason, thanks for coming on and Season. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank
0: you. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate it.
2: All right. Well, now it's time for our stat of the week. The Yankees narrowly avoided a 10-game losing streak. They pounded the Nationals on Wednesday night uh, to snap their 9-game losing streak. Only two active players today were alive the last time the Yankees had a 9-game losing streak. Rich Hill, and Adam Wainwright. The last time the Yankees had lost nine games in a row was in 1982. The last time the Yankees had a 10-game losing streak, and again, they avoided that here with 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 this win over the Nationals, you'd have to be 110 years old today to have seen it. It was on May 21st through June 6th of 1913. And that's going to do it for this edition of Hit and Season. Want to remind you to make sure that you are on the Hit and Season landing page over at Billy Penn, BillyPenn.com/slash Hit and Season. We've had a lot of people asking about. The podcast, why haven't we heard it on Apple Podcasts? Uh, have are you even? Some people don't use anything other than Apple Podcasts, and we're wondering if the show had disappeared. We are obviously here because you're hearing me right now. Uh, if you know someone uh, that is struggling to find us right now, you can just point them in the direction of billypenn.com slash hit season, uh, or you can um, just get us on one of the other streaming platforms. But we do hope to be back on Apple Podcasts within the next day or two. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Hit and Season.